Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Wearing a men's warehouse outfit makes you confident, like you could do anything, so you dance like no one is watching, even though everyone is watching. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you interview like the job is already yours because it is. Because of the men's warehouse outfit, you golf as if the rules don't apply to you because you're too well-dressed for rules. Because of the men's warehouse outfit. At Men's Warehouse, get measured, get fitted, get hot, get confident in everything from tailored suits to underwear and all the stuff in between. Love the way you look at Men's Warehouse. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to this week's Bike Radar podcast. I'm Alex Evans, one of Bike Radar's technical editors, and I'm here today with Rob Weaver, who's our Senior Technical Editor-in-Chief. That's a hell of a title, by the way, Rob. And the other Bike Radar technical editor, Tom Marvin. Now, we're here to talk about Bike of the Year, which is a pretty big deal for everyone at Bike Radar, Cycling Plus and Mountain Biking UK magazine. It is. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that was a good introduction. I wasn't, wasn't sure where we were going to go. No, was, no was I, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 a, it's a big thing that me and Rob do every year. Um, I would say it's fun. Most for the most part, it's kind of fun. There's certainly the testing part is quite fun unless it rains a lot. The testing bit's awesome. I mean, we do pick the worst time of the year to do mm. it, so we generally get pretty wet and cold. But on the flip side, we get to ride bikes for what two, three days a week, every yeah. week for a good couple of months. So, except for you guys, yeah. just basically taking a holiday in in work time. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm jesting here. Their faces tell me to <laughs> shut the hell up quite quickly. Um, tell our lovely, dear listeners what Bike of the Year is exactly, please. Do you want to do this, Rob, seeing as you're the boss? Um, oh, I suppose so. Um, so, yeah. So, every year, we are looking at, on the mountain bike side, we're looking at two specific categories. In this case, it's the trail category, which Tom looks after, and the enduro bike category, which I look after. And we set um, 
a price bracket for each one. Um, we tried to call in between eight to 10 bikes for each category. And then we put them through the paces and we see which is the best. And we're obviously the, the timing is relevant because we're doing these um, as these bikes are essentially launched. So we're trying to get the latest and greatest from each of the brands and pitting them against one another. So the winner should be, you know, the most capable in each category. Tom, I'm sure you can sort of help out in, in terms of how you decide, well, I guess what defines a trail bike is a tricky one, I know, but... Yeah, trail bike, uh, I guess I'd like to think the trail bike is, is, is it's a real tricky sort of category to to sort of define because, you know, a, a trail bike could be effectively a cross-country bike with a bit more travel, a bit more capability, maybe a bit more so than a down-country bike, but, you know, like it could be like a 130mm travel bike, whereas... You know, a trail bike could also be classified as basically a, a little enduro bike to some extent. So there's sort of quite a range of bikes that could fall into that. You know, anything from a 130 to a 160 mil forked bike could be classed as a trail bike. <clears throat> and then how do you sort of work out what is the best trail bike? Is it one that's, you know, really focused on its descending or, you know, like a trail bike should be good at riding all day? And um, there's like, I, I feel there's quite a, a broad spectrum of what a trail bike is. So defining what the best one is, is quite tricky. So you have to do a little bit of a, a workaround and maybe um, in the copy at the end where you sort of say, oh, this one's really good at this, that one's really good at that. Do, do you think there's kind of overlap between the two categories or, or do you guys try and keep, you know, it, how do you decide which bike goes in which category if they're close to each other? At kind of. I mean, I, I don't think any of the trail bikes that I would test would be found at like an EWS. Whereas I guess Rob, the bikes that you're testing would be ones you'd expect to find at an EWS, right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, <clears throat> I think the enduro category, I would say, is maybe becoming a bit more defined in the last sort of year or two, where you're getting bikes with as much as 170 mil at the rear. You know, it's a hell of a lot of travel. You're only you know 30 mil away from the equivalent downhill bike for the most part. Um, whereas before, I think. I guess many brands would sort of categorize a bike that had about 150 as kind of being their enduro bike. But as um, I guess 29 inch wheels and these, you know, longer bikes are being more widely accepted and widely seen, then um, the design parameters have shifted a bit. And what, what designers can do and what they can package into a bike is a bit different. So now these bikes are, arguably more capable, you know, you can ride essentially, you know, pretty much downhill tracks on them, but at the same time, you should be able to pedal them around. So yeah, uh, to your point, yeah, I guess um, most of these bikes, I think you could see being raced by, you know, the top guys, the top top men and women at an EWS. Okay, that's interesting. So, um, you know, there, there clearly isn't a huge amount of overlap actually in, you know, you the, the models are going to be really quite specific to each to each category, um, which I guess helps out. You know, choosing choosing the bikes because you're not fighting fighting each other for a certain model. Um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, even even little things that have changed in the last sort of few years since we started doing this was, if you look at um, tires, are a good example. In that, you know, so I guess you can't just distinguish the bikes between with the, you know, what sort of forks they're using, because I think 
Tom would have had, for example, a RockShox lyric in his test. Mm. And, and a, a ton of the bikes I had had the lyrics as well. But equally, I can't imagine any of the bikes that Tom had had uh, Max's double-down casing tyres on, which some of the bikes yeah. I did had. You know, so yeah. the brands are, uh, I guess the brands are just a bit more aware that when people are buying those bikes, they need to spec them and have them so sorted that you can literally wheel them out of the shop or, you know, unbox them and, and pretty much get straight between the tapes if you want to go racing. And they'll handle it. You don't need to go out and go, oh, okay, you know, the tyres aren't capable enough. The tyres are just going to rip to shreds within the first 30 seconds of riding. So there's there's been a bit of a shift, I think, from the brands with that regard, for sure. Yeah, okay. The thing is, like, tyres has definitely been a noticeable thing over the last couple of years in, in how much they've changed. You know, I remember Trail Back of the Year sort of three, four years ago, you know, frequently coming with hard compound, skittery, fast rolling, basically not actually very good tyres. And, you know, last year, I think there was one bike that came with like a speed grip Schwalbe tyre, which on what should be a relatively capable bike just wasn't up to the task at all. This year, there were no, what I would say, were crap tyres. Everything was good. Um, and I think probably the same same thing in, you've noticed in yours this year as well. Like tyres have, you know, been concentrated on a lot more than maybe they were in the past. Yeah, definitely. And, and just little things like uh, bikes showing up pretty much tubeless. Every single bike mm. I think I had bar one was set up tubeless. Whether that's, um, I think that's pretty standard for most brands. I know a lot of brands will sell the bikes and they'll provide the valves and the tape and everything for you to convert. But um yeah, everything that came my way, like I said, bar one was um, was tubeless, which is great to see. Cool. Okay, so you're kind of looking at it as like a, a holistic package rather than, you know, like a binary choice of, oh, this has got a 65 degree head angle. It must be a whatever style bike. Um, you know, it's, it's the whole thing, isn't it, that you guys are, are looking at. Um, so with that in mind, um, what are you looking for in each category and, and how does that relate to how you test and analyze the bikes? You know, what, what kind of parts are you sort of thinking? You kind of touched on tires and the ability to, you know, roll them out, out of the box and potentially hit the racetrack. Um, how does that kind of work for you, Tom, with, with trail bikes? You know, what, what are the kind of the specifics you're looking at? Um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, I based the, the testing and what, um, how I would rank the bikes based on the riding I like to do. Um, so, you know, for me, like, you know, first off, climbing performance is really important for me. And I think on a trail bike, I don't think, um, you know, I, I think a trail bike should climb well, should be efficient, should be somewhere that you'd happily spend seven, eight hours on, on an all day ride, you know, um, and, you know, there's obviously quite often there's going to be compromises then when it comes to de- descending performance. So there's got to be that balance. Um, but at the same time, obviously people ride bikes for, for the enjoyment, for the fun that tends to be on the descents. So I'd say that there's definitely a bias towards how well they ride down a hill, but also not just, you got to look at things, not just how they, how well they work rattling down, like my favorite steep technical descents, but also how do they perform at a trail center? How did they perform? On something a bit more mellow where you know, you've got to put quite a bit of pedaling efforts in. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, I guess, good suspension at the back that's um, fairly stable, fairly supportive. Um, I like a bike that's quite popping and fun to ride. 
um, as opposed to like an absolute sled of a bike. You know, if, if I go out riding, I, I'm not trying to set the fastest times possible. Like I've only ever raced one enduro in my life. Like I'm not interested particularly in absolute flat out top speed down a hill. For me, it's, it's got to perform all round. Um, and, you know, generally speaking, value is important. Um, the, the sort of the right um, mix of components on there, good tires, good suspension and, and a good frame is, is pretty key. Because I guess that's the thing with, with trail bikes is they're most likely to be the one bike quiver. You know, if, mm. if you own a bike, you are most likely to own a trail bike because you can hopefully ride cross country, ride, you know, a bit of bike park, ride trail centres, ride single tracks. Um, so, mm. you know, you're trying to take all these different things into account, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, the the, the testing that I would, I would do on it, you know, I'd go to, you know, I've done trial centre, they, they all get ridden on the same tracks, basically, back to back. Um, and, and so it's easy to compare them. But my trial bikes will get tested on trial centre blue tracks. You know, I put the Forest of Dean on the Verderers, there's bits of that that they'll get tested on to see how they react when you're, you know, rolling through sort of rollers and berms and, and having to put like quite a bit of pedaling effort in. They'll get rattled down some of the downhill tracks at the Forest of Dean to see how they react to, you know, bigger drops to bigger roots and, and rocks and sort of slightly tougher terrain, I guess. They're going to all get pedaled for like a proper long day out. How do they, how do I feel at the end of the day? How comfortable are they? And they all get taken to Bike Park Wales uh, and rattled down. I've got a, a specific set of tracks down there that I've ridden for years now for Bike of the Year you know, that I don't have to think about so I can see how they react to a bike park. Because as you say, they've got to be used for everything, you know. All of the bikes I think that, you know, are going to do well in, in, in Trail Bike of the Year are going to be ones that I could ride all day, are going to be ones I'm going to take to the Alps on holiday, you know. They, they have to be able to do everything. Yeah, and I, I guess then for Rob, it's maybe a, a little a little more niche because Enduro has kind of a, a winch and plummet um, style of riding where the, the aim is to get to the top of the hill um, by spending the least amount of energy possible efficiently and comfortably as well but then being able to absolutely blast it on the downhills um, so is your criteria ever so slightly different to Tom's or um, yeah I mean Tom I think Tom sort of touched on pretty much all the um, the specifics that you know the highlights that we look for for the most part but yeah like you said um, when I'm testing the enduro bikes I want to be able to you know climb up the hill comfortably so obviously the geometry comes into play there when you're seated etc and how efficient the suspension system is whether it's got a lever on the shock so you can firm stuff up little things like that um you know and how you feel at the top of the hill you know some of the like Tom mentioned we we do quite a lot of bike park wells and we need to give those guys a you know a big shout out because they allowed us to test there while it was closed which was um a massive help for us um so no uplifts uh, obviously because of the restrictions but you know we were pedaling lap after lap and i think it was a it was a really good test for the bikes because you would get you know extremely fatigued by just pedaling so many laps so by the time you you're rattling down your last lap on that you know at the end of the day it's good to see how you feel how that bike more or less how that bike treats you how beaten up you feel at the end of the run and 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 you, i think you can get a lot from that but yeah so i want to be able to climb up to the top without feeling like i've expended every ounce of energy i've got but at the same time when i get there i want to know that as soon as i drop into a trail i can just open it up and i'm not 
second guessing what the bike's doing. I feel, you know, um, I guess well centered between the wheels. I know that I can lean into a turn and the tires have, you know, got an element of predictability and consistency will bite into the terrain. Um, and, and obviously that the suspension does its job. You know, I want something where if it's loose, I know that I'm going to be able to get some kind of traction because the suspension's supple enough, but at the same time, I don't want it wallowing and predictable, making the chassis pitch back and forth. And, you know, when a bike does that, you're looking to use your own body weight then to counter any kind of understeer that might get creative, say if um, the bike hunkers down into the travel too quickly when you load it up into a turn. So you need it to be really well balanced, supportive, so you can still pick up and pop off things, you know, gap bits that you would normally gap. And, and just as Tom, we've got, you know, X amount of trails that we do consistently almost every single year. So you know almost the speed you need to hit every single gap or jump, whatever it might be. And and what's quite telling is some bikes make that stuff easy. You know, some bikes you'll be overshooting those sections, thinking, oh, geez, you know, I've got to hit the brakes earlier. I've got to, you know, I can't, I don't need to pedal in as quite so hard. Whereas other bikes maybe maybe are a bit, you know, uh, plusher, a bit more planted and you need to work a bit harder. But then the offshoot of that sometimes is that you get into chunkier terrain or steeper sections of track and then maybe those bikes sort of start to come into their own element. So, you know, just as Tom said, we need to try and ride this wide spectrum of terrain. And for me, the focus, yeah, very much is on on downhill and, and how those bikes perform. But equally... Enduro bikes still need to be quite well-rounded. You know, they still not just need to be able to pedal up a hill, but they won't be getting, you know, pummeled down a downhill track every single lap. I think people that buy these bikes are still looking to ride mellower trails. They're still looking to ride, um, you know, jump tracks, bike park style um, terrain. Sure, and it's it's not unusual to see people on enduro bikes at trail centres, is it? You know, Exactly. Exactly. So that, you know, there's, while there is a sort of, a, I guess, a focus on downhill performance, I'm still looking at that all round ability. And, um, you know, if a bike, if a bike really, really struggles on anything that's remotely sort of mellow when it comes to going downhill, then obviously it's, it's something that generally goes against it. So it, essentially what you're both looking for is a bike that descends like a downhill bike, climbs like a hardtail, and is as light as a helium-filled Zeppelin or something. Um, yeah, just bang through the cliches. Yeah. That's, that's so you're not asking for much, you know. It's, I mean, it's, you know, no. bike of the year. Easy, mate. Completed it. What's that? So I, I guess exactly. that does mean, though, that, that the winners are actually really quite special. I think so, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. We, it, you know, these decisions really don't come lightly, and I think... Um, I think it's something that maybe uh, it's really hard to sometimes get across in the magazines or on the bike radar reviews in that Tom and I deliberate over these decisions massively, lose a huge amount of sleep. Um, Well, I certainly do. Um, And we are just constantly back and forth. You know, it'll be (laughs) Tom and I, you know, some days, some days we turn up to go testing and, Tom would say, I've got a winner. And then straight away I was like, oh, I don't have a winner. Oh, Jesus, you know, God, maybe I need to pick a winner now. We've still got two weeks to decide, you know, and you're like, oh, starting to panic. 
And then the next day would come, Tom's like, oh, that's not the winner now. <laughs> oh, right, okay, 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 good. Okay, so, <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> so, I mean, Tom and I pretty much are both up to the wire. And sometimes what's, what's always good is when, um, when certain bikes really surprise you. Mm. I think that's, that's, you know, I think we had it last year, definitely, or I certainly did with um, mm. the Cube, which it, by no means, you know, traditionally Cube turn out some, you know, some really solid bikes, but generally their suspension maybe hasn't been as supportive as we maybe have liked. And the geometry at times could be a little bit questionable, but uh, yeah, last year, their new stereo 170 was awesome. I had a great time riding that. And, and um, it was one of those bikes where you get to the bottom of the hill and you think, Oh, okay. I want to go for another lap on this. This is so good. When that happens, sometimes it actually makes the decision-making process even harder because I think we've ridden so many of these bikes in, you know, previous models, various iterations that as the bikes arrive in, you already kind of in your head are going, okay, well, I know this one's going to be really good. I know this one's going to be really good. But when they start to get better and better year after year, and there's more bikes that are then in the running for this sort of the potential top slot, then all of a sudden you realize what you're up against and you're looking at so many small little details to try and differentiate between them. It, it gets, yeah, it gets pretty stressful. I'd say I, I had, you know, similar last year, the, the Bird Ether 7 kind of it came in our shoot. So often we we'd do like a, a photo and video shoot over like, okay, this year has been different, but usually we'd, we'd go somewhere. Last year we went to Spain and, and it was great. And, you know, I took the Bird along because it was an interesting bike, which I, I quite liked. But then we rode on some slightly different terrain that it hadn't really been tested on, and all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, hang on! Like this bike's this bike's really good, like really good, you know." And it bumped it from, you know, mid table, I guess, up to up to third. Um, going back to the sort of thing you're saying, Rob, about you know how sometimes one of us is say, "Oh, we've got a winner," and I say this is again has been slightly different in that the caliber of like my top four bikes all could have won really. Um, in previous years, sometimes there has been a bike that from the outset has been like, "Okay, this is like a." A step above often the tricky bikes to review are the the kind of the middle ground ones you know like if, if there's something that's not great you know and it is in the test it's not great you kind of like okay well this one's probably going to be lower down the pecking order you know and if there's a bike that's really stands out as being this is absolutely awesome you know again that can be a, sometimes an easy-ish decision it's the it's the middle bikes say from like four to seven or four to six or three to six whatever it is those can be really tricky to sort of put into the right order, you know, and, and looking at this year, you know, we, we present the top three in the magazine. Um, but as I said, I had four bikes that really could have won. So, oh, you know, I feel terrible yeah. for, you know, the, the Canyon that came forth. I feel really should have been represented in, in that, on that podium, but didn't quite make the top three grade, but kind of could have done. It just almost came down to like, Oh, should it, should it not, you know? So, so you're saying we need to move to like a, a five bike podium at the World Cups. Hey, maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what are what were the, the the three bikes that didn't make didn't make the top three? Sorry, three bikes that didn't make sorry, the top the, three. The bikes the that, three bikes that, the didn't, bikes make the that didn't make the top three. Which bikes didn't didn't make the top three in the trail bike in of the, the year? Okay, um, I don't know if it's fair to do like a, a countdown as such. Um, Still random again, order. Like, Random order, yeah. alphabet. I'm not good at alphabetical order because that means you have to think about that. Um, the Canyon Spectral really, as I say, could have been a top three bike, very, very close to top three bike. 
Um, I had a Saracen aerial that I thought was very, very good in, in many respects. Um, uh, there was uh, the Lapierre Zesty, um, which I, you know, I'd, I quite liked. Uh, Intense Primer, again, had a lot of really good points. Um, and there was one more bike. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's all right, listeners. Tom's only been deliberating about this for months, you know, and, and he, he's definitely got all of the bikes on the tip of his tongue. Privateer 141. Really interesting bike, actually. A really interesting bike. And were it not for one little kind of niggle I had with it, again, really would have been right up there. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's tricky, isn't it? Like you're saying, basically, these bikes are, 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 are some of them at least, are missing out by the skin of their teeth. With nitpick, we really have to nitpick. And in the case of the privateer, in a kind of funny way, it literally came down to one or two corners on my test track, which separated it from the bike's half a a star better, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and so what about you, Rob? Which were the the ones that didn't make your top three? Did you just pull up your list of bikes, Rob? Uh, Actually, I've got the the supplements (laughs) that next to me. Because I knew I'd forget. <laughs> um, so, in no particular order, um, I should point out as well, and I think it's the same for Tom, all the bikes scored really highly. Mm. You know, I think if you go back a few years, we had bikes maybe scoring two and a half, three at most, and you'd have more of those bikes scoring two and a half, three, you know, a lot of threes. Whereas now, I don't think I think both of our lowest scores was three and a half. Is that right, Tom? Three and a half, yeah. Yeah, but just Which because the standards just bike. jumped up. And 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 yeah, for, if, you, if you bought one of those bikes, you'd still have a really bloody good yeah. bike. Yeah. And what what, yeah. what does a three and a half score um, denote? Because I, I know that you know we've got our we've got each each score has a has a meaning behind it. Mm. Um, I can't I can't actually remember what what three and a half means exactly so, in a review. So so three stars is that it's it's good and it'll do the job well. So three and a half kind of straddles that, um, you know, four is, you know, it's one of the best you can buy. Five is, it is, you know, it's the top, it's the best, you know, there's essentially nothing wrong with it at all. Um, so yeah, three and a half is still a really good score. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know different, you know, other publications score differently and have different meanings to, you know, definitions to each of their scores, but yeah, you know, three and a half is still a really, really Good score, and like Tom said, you'd be chuffed to bits if you bought any of these because they are genuinely like all really good bikes. They just have some of them just have certain quirks that maybe then um, hold them back a little bit compared to the top contenders. That's the thing. It's you know when you've got the best of the best, you're sort of comparing against it all of a sudden. You know yeah. that's when you start to really pick those little yeah. holes in it when you're riding those back to back laps. Um, so yeah, in no particular order, I had. Kind of process, uh, 153DL, um, the YT Capra Shred, uh, the Scott Ransom, and uh, what else? Cotic Rocket Max, the new Generation 3 one. And also, again, it was it was tight, the Vitus Summit 29 CRX. Yeah. And again, it was just, um, I think it was down to, similar to Tom, but this one specific trail, which is really rough, that I like to ride. And just a couple of things that that bike did on there just held it back a little bit from being top of the top. You know, it sort of, 
it made me think, okay, maybe that bike is, it's uh, arguably a bit more well-rounded, a bit more maybe of an all-rounder. But if you wanted to go and race a full-on enduro, especially one in Europe on some, you know, insanely rough tracks, then maybe you want to pick one of the top three instead. Mm. And again, it was down to, I think it was the very last day that I worked that out, the very last day that we had in testing. I went up and I just did this a couple of runs back to back as quick as I could. So I could, you know, you still almost have that muscle memory buzzing through your, you know, your fingertips. And um, I came down at the bottom of the hill and I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I made the right decision. This is, yeah, this can't be in the top three. Yeah. Blimey. I mean, that's, you know, that's like down to the wire and uh, also incredibly nuanced, isn't it? It's, uh, you know. Yeah. It, it's it's tough as well because obviously there's an element of subjectivity involved mm. um and normally it's probably worth pointing out as well you know because of the restrictions that we were under whereas normally we'd have more people riding the bikes especially while we you know we used to go away for a week abroad somewhere and the bikes would change hands between four or five people yeah so and we used to do it early enough in the schedule that you know that sort of played a part didn't it in in the actual decision making mm. process whereas whereas this year because of restrictions we've obviously we followed those to the letter and we've done you know what we're allowed to do and we've um basically just ridden by ourselves pretty much or, or you know in pairs together but we haven't been trading bikes swapping bikes stuff like that so it's been arguably a touch trickier this year with less input which you know we'd rather have but couldn't yeah i did get luke to ride a few of the bikes just um as restrictions were easing and so um that uh, luckily all he did was validate kind of what i'd already thought so for me that just you know cemented it rather than change anything which was kind of reassuring um but yeah it's been it's been a bit different this year for sure with that sort of that process so so before we touch on on both of your of your top threes has, has there been anything else um that this particular year um or 2020 and 2021 pandemic uh stricken uh trajectory shall one say um has has kind of you know maybe put a spanner in the works or actually maybe not put a spanner in the works what have kind of been the the biggest things except for obviously the testing side of it um, I mean, one thing springs to mind, right? And that's bike availability <laughs> that I think we've banged on about a little bit uh, in previous podcasts. I think that's, that's had certainly, and it had an, it's had an impact on both of our tests for sure. Um, <clears throat> on the on the trail bike side, you know, we try and stick to a price range of three to three and a half thousand pounds. That wasn't possible um, for various reasons. Um, you know, we also, you know, we, we request the bikes back in October, November. Um, a lot of bikes don't arrive until January. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, what happened at the 1st of January? Well, we left the EU um, with, you know, and the deal was struck on New Year's Eve or whatever it was, or Christmas Eve, I can't remember exactly when it was. So the bikes that came from European brands, they changed price. Yeah. Um, or they they certainly had prices that were in flux around that point. So um there weren't many bikes in my test that hit the three and a half thousand pound limit. Most of them sort of hovered in the sort of three five to three eight, um, but there was one significant bike that also, actually, to be honest, due to a communication error on my part, did come in 
significantly above that. But where this sort of happened, as I sort of hopefully tried to um, talk about in my reviews and in, you know, on, on the video reviews that we're doing that are going on to Bike Radar over the next few weeks, Bike Radar's YouTube channel, um, <clears throat> where the prices in my test were sort of discrepant from what we'd expect. You know, I focused on, on the frame, the, protect, the, the performance of the frame. Um, talked about the performance of the bike as a whole, but also took opportunities where possible to talk about bikes that either hit the price point or, you know, whether there are bikes where you could spec different product, different sort of components to change the price. You know, I talked about what the impact of that might have been or, or would have been um, and maybe what I would have done to get the bike to a, a more realistic, in, in, in some cases, price point. Um, and, yeah, bike availability, you know, we did eight bikes each this year. Usually we'd do 10. Back in the day, like I remember when what mountain bike was still around, we did 20 bikes in bike of the year. Um, and that was fairly fairly easy to do, or well, it wasn't for Kesteven, who <laughs> had to do 20 bikes. But, um, you know, like this year, we both struggled to get eight bikes each, um, which is, yeah, tough. Yeah, last year we were turning them away. I think it was, you know, we had, I don't know, maybe sort of two or three additional bikes kind of kicking mm. around once we'd ordered them in, and then it was a case of, Almost, you know, first come, first serve, to a degree. Uh, I'm, um, I'm sure you promised them that they'll be in next year's body. And then this year, when you asked for them, the, the brand said, oh, sorry, <laughs> no, we don't have any of those. Ah, damn it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing. And, and the some of, you know, some of the brands, the shift in pricing did sort of, you know, rule them out. Um, neither of us could actually get specialised into the test. Um the Enduro hasn't actually changed. So the, the bottom Enduro, the one that I tested last year, the spec and everything, the whole bike stays the same for this year, but the price has gone up, which, um, so my pricing ran from 3,450 up to just under 4,200 pounds. Um, and I think the Specialized now costs five grand. Yeah. So it was, it would have been a massive jump to kind of um, shoehorn that in. Um, and I don't think there were any uh, stump jumpers available at that price or, uh, mm. at all. Cause I, I know Spesh have been selling bikes like yeah. hotly baked goods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it, it, it's tough in that situation. Cause obviously you do want to include as many of the, the big bikes as, as, as you like, you know, okay. And there are emissions this year from bike of the year, which we wouldn't, like to have had but it's kind of you know it's it's not our fault and also to some extent you know if we can't get the bikes then they can consumers yeah. i guess i mean you know you, you do see comments quite frequently on on video reviews or wherever why didn't you review xx bike you know kind of assuming that we hadn't thought about that particular model or mm. whatever um, and it's generally because they, they fall outside of a certain criteria or they're unavailable or they don't cost mm. the right amount of money or, you know, a whole host of well, things. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to get um, I was trying to get Santa Cruz for mine. And I think uh, the, the soonest I could get that particular bike was January 2022. Mm. So, uh, yeah, missed the deadline by a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've ordered it for next year, though, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. So definitely not been an easy, easy kind of body test for, for either of you this year. Um, you know, I think that would probably be fair to say. Um, but 
there's obviously still going to be three top bikes in in each category. So let's not keep our dear beloved listeners on tenterhooks for any longer, unless they've already read the magazine and seen the reviews on Bike Radar. Um, what are your top three bikes, Tom? Why you like them? What was good? And crucially, what wasn't good? Okay, so I'm going to go top four bikes very quickly, though. I'll, I'll work through the, the four, to, four to two as quick as um, I effectively nice can. Nice curveball in so there. The Canyon like Spectral. <laughs> the Canyon Spectral um, is a great trail bike. It's been um, re-released for, well, re, re, um, <clears throat> it's got a new frame for 2021, basically. The geometry is bang up to date, as you'd expect. You know, you've got 480 reach in a large Crucially for me on the geometry front, the seat tube and the head tube were both dropped in length from the previous 650B bike. Um, so you've got 20 mil off the seat tube, which just makes it feel less tall. Um, and likewise, at the front end, the front end's been dropped. The head tube's a bit shorter, stacks a bit lower, which, for, you know, I personally, I quite like a slightly lower front end than some of, you know, my colleagues. Um, and on flatter tracks, it really helps weight the front wheel. So personally, I, I really like that. It's also gone up to 29-inch wheels. It's just really sorted. The, the triple phase suspension, as they call it, the back, I genuinely think is some of the best trail bike suspension on the market, full stop. Um, it didn't quite make it into that top three simply because at three six something or three seven ish delivered, it just wasn't quite good enough value, which is something we would have expected from Canyon. Um, you know, a select level fork. Um, just doesn't quite cut the mustard these days, I don't think, at that price point. Just not quite as plush. It's got the motion control damper, doesn't have um, the more basic charger damper. It just didn't feel like you were getting quite the the value that one would hope from Canyon. But still, a, a cracking bike. Um, they do some Fox and Shimano-based models. The one I had was a, a SRAM, so RockShox Rock Shock, Shock SRAM drivetrain. The Fox and Shimano ones come with a 164 instead of a 150. Um, and they're absolutely brilliant. Um, really, really like them. Coming into third position um, was YT Jeffsy. So this is a bike that has always done really well in Trail Bike of the Year for me. I just think it's like the most fun bike you could ever buy. Like I genuinely love the Jeffsy. Um, the model I had was a Jesse Blaze. Now there's Blaze versions of the Izzo, the Jeffsy, and the Capra. Um, they all came out in early early this yeah. year, but they were very limited editions. So I think the Jeffsy Blazers, 150 in Europe, 150 in North America. Um, and obviously they've all been sold out, but it was the one YT that we were able to get this year. Um, but I mean, now it's they got came comparable with, performance with a it, 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 current Exactly, yes. Yeah. So it's the same frame as the ones you'd be able to buy. And it'd be the Core 3 is the model that you could actually buy now. Same price. But instead of having um, a Lyric Ultimate and a Super Deluxe Ultimate, it comes with uh, Fox's Performance Elite 36 and a DPX2. So, you know, like you split in hairs between the two forks and shocks, really. Um, it's just so much fun, that bike. It could be more capable in steep descent. So it's still got actually a relatively steep head angle compared to some of the other bikes in the test. So when you're really going down like really steep, fast technical stuff, it maybe doesn't have quite the composure. That said, on sort of flatter, twistier, sort of fun sort of trail tracks, it's just hilarious. Um, you know, and I, I, I love that bike. Coming into second was the Propane Hugene. So this is the bike that actually won last year. But again, 2021, it's got a completely new frame. 
Um, they've improved its stiffness to weight. The geometry is, again, a little bit longer, a little bit slacker. Um, and it's just a super composed bike. It's it's just a great all-rounder. Um, quietest bike I've ever ridden. I think you, there is no noise from that bike. And that sort of translates into the way it feels on the track over sort of small stuttery stuff to bigger drops. It's just smooth. It's just quiet. It's just very capable. It kind of almost like unassuming in the background. It just gets on with the job and just does it really well. Um, again, the value from propane is really good. Um, sadly, this was the bike I had a bit of a communication error and, and it did come in about a thousand pounds above what we'd usually have for trial bike of the year. However, I did, a, they've got like, um, an online bike builder where you can alter the spec of the bike when you buy it. So you can hit that price point or you can hit the components that you particularly like. Um, so I did a, a bike build to get it into that more sort of three, six, three, seven price range that a lot of the bikes coming in at. And you still get, um, I think I spec'd it with a Pike Ultimate. Um, with a GX groove group set with some formula brakes that I particularly like and some decent wheels still hit that price point. And I actually don't think it would compromise the ride at all. Um, and yeah, just as a, a really, really good bike. Again, the, the tricky thing with propane is that because it's coming from Germany, if you're going to go and buy one, the pricing is a bit tricky because there's like this, this Brexit bonus as the the guy from propane called it, that the pricing is a bit tricky to work out. You, you're going to get hit with import duties. Mm. That said, not everyone is being hit with these import duties, so it's a bit of a grey area. Regardless, though, it's a it's a brilliant bike. It really is. Um, and, yeah, that's why it came second this year. I guess we'll talk about the winner, winner in a minute, maybe. But, um, yeah, it's great. Okay, well, go on then, Rob. What are your, what are your top, top all but one? Top all but one? Okay, so... <clears throat> um, First off, I start with the Nukeproof Mega. So I had the so the 290, which is the 29-inch wheel version, alloy frame pro model. Um, so that costs £3,700. That actually crept up a bit. I think when they originally launched the bikes, it was around about three four, But um, the Brexit tariffs or whatever have bumped the price up considerably, unfortunately. But still, even at 3.7, great value, um, amazing kit. Um, you've got RockShock Lyric Select Plus, so that uses the charger damper. You get the, the, the top-end 2.1 RC damper on that, um, which is great. Bit of low-speed compression adjustment. You've also got rebound adjustment, stuff like that. Um, you've also got Super Deluxe Shock, which is great, nice and easy to use easy to tune, low-speed lever in case you need to firm it up on the climbs, stuff like that. GX groups there. Um, and then um, Nukepru's own wheels wrapped with Michelin uh, Wild Enduro tyres, okay. which have always done well with us in, in the tests. Can sometimes, um, I'd say maybe on hard pack, damp hard pack surfaces, feel a little bit skittish. But when you're riding natural stuff, they're incredible tires really predictable loads of grip work really well touch draggy on the climbs but otherwise absolutely great for this year nuke proof have changed the geometry of the bike quite a bit and what's interesting with my top three bikes i think the difference in stuff in in terms of uh, reach change day length things like that it's a few millimeters all the bikes uh so two of the bikes are pretty much identical in terms of um, 
reach change day, seat day, head angle. And the other bike only differs by a couple of mil in just a couple of different areas. So I, I guess you can sort of see exactly the size, you know, what bikes I like and what sizing I like. But so the the new Mega in uh, medium is has a reach of 455 mil, uh, 440 mil chainstay. So it used to be 450 with a 450 reach. So they've actually lengthened the reach and shortened the chainstay. Okay. Um, and the other thing, well, not just the other thing, but they've also, obviously they've done, you can look at the frame and see they've done quite a lot in terms of how they've shaped it, re, you know, changed the down tube significantly, changed the rocker link, different bits and pieces like that. They've also steepened the effective seat angle. And that actually, what's, what's good with Nuke Proof and Vitus, in fact, uh, as well, is that the seat tube angle or the effective seat tube angle steepens as you increase the frame sizes. So even if you're taller and want to, you know, run the saddle much higher, because of that corrected seat angle, you should still be in the same position over the BB when it comes to seated, you know, seated pedaling as anyone on a smaller size bike, because which is great. Quite frequently, the effective seat tube angle actually slackens with the, the larger the bike you get. You know, you see that quite, quite often with, with geometry charts. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, taller riders riding XLs and stuff like that, especially if the chainstay or the rear centre measurement doesn't change at all, before you know it, they're, you know, they're sat over the rear axle of the bike. Mm. And as soon as they start riding up a hill, they're basically just doing a wheelie. So... By changing that, changing that measurement as those frame sizes increase, it does put, it should in theory put bigger riders in, you know, just as good a position as smaller riders, mm. where it's less of an effect. Um, and they've also reworked the suspension and how it's delivered. So uh, the previous bike also did pretty well last year. Um, but the thing with that bike, it was a real monster truck. So it was very much a drop your heels and just go plowing into the you know the rough stuff but it really hugged the ground it you know it sort of it seemed to drop through its midstroke pretty easily which meant when you're riding mellower trails or stuff that requires a bit more pop and lift as a rider you have to work that bit harder for it and so it kind of you know dulled a little bit of the liveliness whereas this year they've they've really firmed up um the support so the midstroke just feels it just adds a bit more playfulness and poppiness compared to the previous bike, which for me just means, you know, it, it kind of makes it a bit more well-rounded, but luckily it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have um, affected that, um, the ability to ride it really hard when the tracks get pretty tough. Okay. So, so it's kind of, you know, you, you do worry sometimes when they make these changes, are they just going to be compromising and in, different area but this feels like they've kind of got the best of both worlds and um yeah the the, the latest mega is is the best it's ever been in my opinion so we're, um, we're talking about the mega here but it's certainly worth mentioning the giga because there, yeah. there's a bit of a story there isn't there with the timings and kind of the way it all sort of panned out um and it just wasn't didn't didn't quite fit into this year's body so i guess you know there are probably people screaming down their headphones why isn't the giga in this year's body yeah exactly it's a yeah it's a tricky one um the giga launched after i'd ordered the bikes pretty much and um in some ways you know having ridden the giga 
it's a shame, you know, it, it wouldn't be included because it's an incredible bike. Um, on the flip side, they don't make the Giga in aluminium. Mm. So, you know, like for like in terms of pricing, it could be that um, the cheaper Giga is compromised in terms of the parts, potentially. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's, you know, the, the Giga does pedal incredibly well and it's, yeah, it's an incredibly capable bike. But I've only ridden one of the top spec bikes, so it'd be hard to say exactly how the, uh, the cheaper model would behave. Um, but I think regardless, the, the new Mega, like I said, it's the best it's ever been. And it's a, it's a really fun, very, very capable bike. Um, and that brings me on to the white. Mm-hmm. So it's now called the white G180 because it uses a 180 mil travel fork. This is what it seems that that's how, you know, white are going these days. They, they name it essentially it dubbed after whatever travel fork they have on the front. And this replaces the previous G170, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. So, um, it gets a slight increase in real world travel up to one, six, one, six, seven, I think it is. Um, is that right? One six seven. Yes, I just checked. Um, and at three thousand five hundred pounds, it's in, it's actually incredible value. I mean, and and I must admit as well. Well, I must mention that all three of my top bikes are all um, none of them are direct, so they're all shop bought. You can buy them for the shops. So yeah, the white. So the white uses the same shock as the Nuke Proof, um, but it actually comes with a Zeb. So it's the only bike in this test that came with the Zeb and it's, it's the select plus. So you get the better damper. Mm-hmm. It's a 180 mil fork. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're talking almost sort of downhill bike territory here. So it gets the, you know, the, the bigger chassis, 38 mil uppers. Um, again, white have been great and really smart with how they've specced it. So GX drivetrain. The code R brakes. Oh, that was another thing. So the the Nuke Proof is the only bike in the top three that doesn't get code brakes. It actually uses the Guide REs. Mm. But if anyone has a good memory, they'll they'll know that the Guide RE actually uses the old code caliper with a guide lever. But anyway, so the white gets the code R brakes, GX drivetrain, the it's Max's front and rear, so Asagar on the front which uses the EXO plus casing, which is not too heavy, but still relatively tough. And on the rear, it's a Minion DHR2, which is one of my favorite tires. So great under braking, really predictable, rolls decent, um, and it uses the double down casing. So it's what one down from full downhill casing tire, but it just gives you that peace of mind that you can go clattering into, you know, rock gardens, whatever it might be. And, and, you know, you're not stressed and thinking you're just going to rip your tire to shred straight away. Um, so I got on obviously that bike, the G170 won last year. Uh, I absolutely love that bike. And I absolutely love this bike. This is the thing, like we were saying earlier, the difference at the, at the pointy end of things this year, we, we were talking about the smallest of details, which was really sort of, differentiating things and on the natural sort of off-piece tracks i i I think the white was arguably the best right it was an it's an incredible bike it's you know very very supple but still supportive 
So you could get loads of traction. You could ride ridiculous lines. You know, you're skating across roots and rocks and, you know, hugging insides on, you know, off camber turns and all those things that you think, should I do? Can I do? And you kind of stick that line and think, oh, wow, okay. And then you just want to go and do it again and again and again and again. But um, Sam at White, so the engineer, he's been pretty smart as well with uh, the changes they made. So he's he's he has made a few changes to the suspension to add a little bit more support in there. So even though they've increased the amount of travel, it actually it still feels like quite a, a poppy bike. So even though you're talking almost downhill numbers here, um, it actually was easier to, I don't know, lift up and loft over gaps compared to the Mega, which suck, still sort of sucks the floor a little bit more. Um, so it kind of added a, maybe a little bit more of a fun factor, but also when you're really tired and, and you know, just trying to hit the same lines time and time again, I found it just a bit easier on the white. Yeah, It was just a bit easier to just pick up and, and you know, jump over whatever it might have been and, um, you could kind of switch off a little bit more, if that makes sense. So, so it was just a bit more autopilot. And your head nodding. <laughs> yeah, the, white's, exactly. the white's got your back. It, exactly, exactly. But again, you know, very, very similar numbers to, uh, or no, in, in fact, almost identical numbers to um, the Nuke Proof. Uh, it's got a slightly slacker seat angle. But again, with both bikes, um, I only ever found that, so they pedal pretty well, they climb well, but I only ever found that I was reaching for the shock lever when the the climb was getting really steep and I was kind of sat on the nose of the saddle, sort of hunkering down a little bit and you were just looking for every ounce of efficiency possible and, and that would be when I would use it. But otherwise you can sort of pedal them both pretty comfortably. Okay, cool. But I guess... And then obviously there's the top bike, which we'll come on to in just a sec. So this is the big reveal. If I had a drum roll effect, I would be pushing the button right now. Tom, the winner of your Trail Bike of the Year test 2021 is the... It is the Bird Ether 9. Um, About, I don't know, three or four hours ago, I mentioned that last year's Bird Ether 7 came in third in uh, third in the bike of the year and i i really liked that bike i thought it was really good um and i said in the copy there if it had 29 inch wheels boy oh boy like this would have been incredible and uh lo and behold uh back in october november i think it was start of november <clears throat> bird launched the ether 9 which if the you know the naming makes any sense to you has got 29 inch wheels um, so the Ether 9, it's a 130mm aluminium trail bike um, with a 140mm fork up front, 29-inch wheels. Um, and, yeah, it, it's it's great. It's really, really good. Um, so so yeah. Bird's, Bird's kind of um, model is that you can basically spec the bike how, how you want, right? You go on their website, you select the frame, and then you can basically customise mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, I mean they 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 have um, set models, okay. um, which start at about two and a half grand for the Ether Nine, um, but each of those components on that bike, usually there's the opportunity to adjust it. So, do you want a Select Plus fork? Do you want an Ultimate fork? Do you want a Fox fork? I think they offer. 
Um, you know, what tyres do you want? Um, what group set do you want? Um, so you can really sort of tailor the bike again to where you ride, how you like to ride, or how much cash you've got in your pocket. Um, so this bike came in at three eight fifty, um, which again, you know, was a little bit over budget, but that's largely down to the fact that it came with a pair of DT Swiss uh, EXC fifteen oh one wheels. Um, if you watched the Mike Radar video, uh, I call it the XMC1501 wheel, which was completely wrong. Um, and it was shown with a graphic of the EXC1501 logo. And I watched that, fortunately, before the video was actually put on YouTube. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, I do this every year. Um, so they put a little box on the screen. And it actually meant that no one commented so far that I got it wrong, which the comments would have been full of, well, you got that wrong. Um, and I did get it wrong. Anyway... <laughs> Um, so it came basically long story short it came with a pair of very very fancy carbon wheels um and if uh as i say you can change that spec so i I looked at the spec options there's um some uh kind of bird branded hope based wheels in there there's some dt swiss aluminium wheels which bring it right down into three and a half thousand pound ish i actually tested the bike with a pair of um i think the m1900 dt swiss wheels with very very similar tires maxis tires on there just to sort of see what the bike would have been like with cheaper wheels. And yet still performs really well. So why did it perform well? Well, the rear suspension is very, very stable. Um, it climbs incredibly well. Like there's very little bob. There's very little movement on there. Um, on the sort of real rattly descents, you do get a touch more feedback than some of the smoothest bikes. But I think that's acceptable, um, especially as it meant that on more mellow tracks, when you put those pedal strokes in, you get a real burst of speed. And as I say, you, you're never losing anything on the climbs. Um, on the bigger hits, uh, it's just super composed. Loads of progression towards the end of the stroke. Doesn't bash your ankles off the pedals, just really controlled. Um, yeah, I just thought it was bloody great. Geometry-wise, it's the longest bike in the test, so 507 mil reach in a large. Personally, I'm not super into massively long bikes, but it just works really well. It's got quite a short back end, so it's still nice and maneuverable. And that was the difference between the Bird and I think the Saracen had a 505 mil reach. It's just slightly longer at the back, which just meant that at the end of a long day's ride, when you're tired and you need to make those bigger body movements to get a long bike moving, it was just a bit easier on the Bird than it was on the Saracen. And d- so d- just, just for our listeners, how, how tall are you? Just so they know. Um, so I'm six foot 182. Okay. Um, so actually, if I'd been... Um, so I got sent that bike at the launch of, of the Ether 9 uh, and, and kept hold of it for bike of the year. If I'd been shopping for the bike based off the paper geometry alone, I'd have gone for the medium long. So they offer a medium, medium long, large, extra large, maybe even XXL, probably not. Um, but the medium long is in between. It's got like a, 180, uh, a 485 reach. Um, and, you know, on paper, that would probably have suited my preferences more. But actually, having ridden it with a 507, Spot on. Okay. Yeah, it was great. So it, it basically sounds sounds like the bird kind of is a is a tickle boxes scenario. In the the geometry is right. You can spec it to how you personally want it, mm-hmm. or you can choose a build kit that's right for your mm-hmm. price range. Um, how, yeah. how kind of what were the exact little nitty gritty details that pipped it over the post compared to, you know, your, your number two bike. Um, I think it was the value is really important there. So I had ultimate level suspension front and back. I had those carbon wheels. I had a full XT group set. But personally, I really like a bike yoke dropper that is actually 
is really good. A decent cockpit, all for 3850 is really impressive. Again, you know, I got to pick the tyre. So I had triple compound Maxxis. I had a shorty at the front um, and a DHR2 at the back. Now, if that worked really well on like the muddy sort of single tracks I was testing on early on in my testing at Bike Park Wales, a shorty isn't the best tyre, but they offer Dissectors, Recons, Minions. They offer basically the full Maxxis range. So, I, you know, that's certainly not a downside. Um, the geometry, again, as I say, is spot on fairly slack at the front nice and seat 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 angle again made climbing really good it just sort of had everything bar that absolute smoothness over real chattery high frequency stuff like matted roots a touch more feedback than say the propane but it's marginal at that point And and i think having that sort of length and the stability that that length and the low bottom bracket gives you means that when the back end isn't quite as composed as maybe it might have been elsewhere. Say, if it had more than 130 mil travel, I think the length just helps you get over it without actually worrying about it, if that makes sense. It doesn't matter that the back end is a touch less composed in some situations. Cool. I mean, you know, it sounds... Does that yeah, make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you've sold it to me. I'm, I'm currently uh, hey, pawning off... <laughs> you're on Bird's website yeah, right I'm, now, Bird. I'm pawning <laughs> off all of my goods um, in the house. So my, my TV, um, well, that's basically all I own, so... Um, I'm not going to be able to buy a bike but yeah it sounds amazing Um, genuinely sounds like a truly worthy winner of Trail Bike of the Year Um, there we go so Rob which bike won your test because you know I'm sure our our lovely listeners want to find out well so it was in fact the cheapest bike of the entire test wow it was the the Trek Slash 8 which costs £3,450 so I must admit this was a bit of a, a bit of a surprise for me. Um, not that I'd ever, you know, not that I was ever going to write off um, the slash from the get-go. But my previous experience of um, the slash and then, you know, some of the other bikes there, it's always been that the rear suspension has been pretty supple, but then kind of lacked a bit of support when you needed it. And maybe, you know... A, not the best tires and the geometry's maybe been a bit conservative. And you know what? Like when I was riding the natural sort of off piste stuff, it was really good. It was great, in fact. But like I said before, I think it was the white that sort of had the edge there. It wasn't until I went to the much faster sort of high speed, rougher tracks at the bike park where all of a sudden I was like, wow, this thing is incredible. The way... It carries speed for one, the way it's just able to stay so composed when it gets really, really rough. It it was honestly just one of those one of those times where you get to the bottom of the hill, you're like, oh, uh, maybe I need to go and ride that again because either I'm riding really well or something the bike's doing something kind of special that's compensating for my normal riding. So you'd go back up, you ride it again, you're like, oh no, this is genuinely really genuinely really good. And, and, and the thing is that you still get it, it's you still get all that support when you want it when you're you know on the takeoff of jumps or you know um, skimming into sections trying to go light and bounce through stuff but when it gets really really chunky it just seems to absorb and just isolate the rider so well from what's going on beneath the tires that it's it's sort of I guess it almost 
it, it just feels so calm that it feels like you've almost got more time to process what you're doing, where you're going, what line you need to pick. And that sensation is hard to come by, I think. And that, and it was, it, like I said, it's small, marginal differences between the other bikes because in, in that sort of terrain, they're also incredibly capable. But it was just the speed I managed to carry on the slash through those sections and hitting jumps where all of a sudden you're going, you know, I was pulling up for that a minute ago and now I'm trying to squash it yeah. or overshooting it by miles or coming through steep shoots and just pinging through the turn at the end and almost amazed to the point where you're about to crash because you're still about, you know, three or four meters behind in your head. Um, it helps that considering the price, it still uses um, select plus lyrics. So you get the good damper again. It actually uses though their proprietary um, rock shocks, uh, collaborative shock, the you know, three shaft shock. Yeah. yeah so, um, that does away with the IFP piston. So in theory, or as Trek claims should have less friction in there, should be able to make it recover quicker and feel, you know, sort of more seamless between that compression rebound phase. And it's hard to say whether or not that's entirely true because I haven't ridden the bike with a standard shock. But as I've already just, you know, gone on and on and on about, it's clearly very, very good when it gets rough. And you, you can't really put a price on, you know, you can't put a price on how it feels, can you? You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, you can to an extent, right? But equally, if you get to the bottom of the trail and you're like, holy moly, that's the best I've ever felt on my bike ever, then it must indicate that, you know, something's clicked, right? Exactly, right, exactly. And so... Um, and, and the fact that it still remains quite playful and fun, even though it can do what it can do when it gets rough, I think speaks volumes. Um, the geometry is really good. Uh, it's, it has a reach of 450, which on the medium is pretty decent. So it's a, you know five mil shorter than the nuke proof and the white, but still really good. The back end's, I think, three mil shorter than both of those other bikes as well. So 437. The BB is marginally higher i think than the white but it's just over 340 maybe 343 i want to say so it's not you know sky high you can adjust the geometry um it has got a couple of settings um but i must be honest i pretty much once i um got it into the low setting i just left it there yeah. the whole time because it was incredible um and another little trick that um trek of pull out the bag is that it has uh, internal storage in the down tube oh, yeah. so we all we, we're only used to seeing that in specialized bikes traditionally right and only ever on their carbon bikes but trek have managed to find a way of doing it in aluminium frames as well so if you are a big fan of what specialized did previously with the swat system it's now obviously available on the trek as well um, but in the aluminium frame so that means every single one of the slash models gets this it isn't just exclusive to the carbon frames which is really cool um it does have or the, the slash from my side of things does have a slight weakness in the tires so it uses bontrager's xr5 team issue on the front and the xr4 team issue on the rear and they roll really quickly which is great 
they handled everything in terms of all the rock strikes, smashing through this, that, the other, the overshoots on the landings, without, you know, without failing at all. But in traditional British conditions, it, I would say maybe they lack a little bite in terms of um, cornering in softer, muddy conditions and, and also maybe under braking as well a little bit on steeper stuff. You just sort of feel maybe that the bike gets, you know, starts getting a bit carried away. But I did actually switch the tyres out just to try, just to, just to see whether it was going to make a massive difference in terms of speed carrying and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, from what I felt, the, the results were roughly the same. You know, I could still carry a ton of speed. I just had a bit more grip yeah. when I needed it, when it was a bit wetter. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, for me, it was it was, again, sort of quite close to the end of testing, getting down to the wire, and I just kept re-riding those sort of top three, four bikes over and over again. And in my head, I kind of had it, the Trek is the winner, and I was pretty confident. But then, like I said, previously we got Luke in, and Luke came down and he rode, I think he rode the top four bikes, and he sort of said really confidently, this is the bike I'm going to buy if I'm going to buy any of these. Yeah. This is the bike I'd want to do another lap on now. And and I and that just you know that properly sort of clarified exactly what I was thinking, um, which made a real difference. And then, yeah, so yeah, that bike's good value, stonkingly fast, especially when it gets fast and rough, um, and a lot of fun, like a serious amount of fun to ride. And it's one of those that feels really natural. You just jump on, and you're not sort of second guessing set up almost going on maybe i need to do this maybe i need to do that i don't want to really push too hard through here because this isn't quite right i'll go and change it every time it's, i think especially when you're doing stuff like video shoots and you're swapping between the bikes all the time it every time you just jump on this it was like needed zero adjustment just jump on you know you could just open it up straight away easy to ride Amazing. I mean, you know, for c- considering the price and how uh, Trek isn't a, a direct-to-consumer brand, you know, you, you buy them through the shops. I mean, it's, that's really quite impressive stuff, isn't it? And, and it, mm. you know, it's kind of interesting that both your body winners, one is a direct-to-consumer, one isn't. One was the cheapest, one was kind of more in the middle of the price range. Um, you know, I think it, it proves genuinely that the winners are down to the testing. You know, there's no bias, there's no anything. You know, you guys have worked really, really hard um, to give consumers advice that's actually founded in, you know, legitimate experiences and, um, you know, testing that's really been quite thoughtfully done. Um, so well done to you guys. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, that was your appraisal, even though I don't manage either of you and I'm actually beneath Rob in the hierarchy at work. Um, so congratulations there. And also well done to Trek and Bird for making great bikes. You should be proud of yourselves. Well, well done to everyone. All the bikes are really mm. good. There's absolutely no getting around that. And that's what's made this year so, so tricky. Cool. Well, I think we'll probably uh, we'll probably leave it there. So, um, a bike radar MBUK gold medal to all of our listeners who have managed to make it this far. Um, I suspect your car battery is probably flat now, having sat on the driveway for the last hour uh, listening to the rest of this podcast. Um, as ever, please remember to subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast. 
Um, I should have said this at the beginning because, like we said, no one's probably listening anymore. Um, but when you subscribe, <laughs> you get the notifications um, to find out when we upload uh, a new thrilling episode um, and you get to listen to it all the way through. Um, I think that's probably probably all we need to all we need to talk about. I don't know. Tom Tom's looking at me blankly, um, even though he's the boss of podcasts. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that covers everything. Yeah, yeah. Good work, Al. Oh, thank good you. Work. Yeah, thank you. Was that my appraisal? <laughs> that was your appraisal. You can have some bike radar gold stars too. Oh Brilliant. wow! Um, he's getting dished out willy nilly now. Why not? Seriously. <laughs> I guess it's worth it's worth sort of on a, a broader bike of the um, scale. It's worth saying that um, obviously full reviews of all the bikes, all sixteen mountain bikes, and all of the road bikes that are coming in the road bike of the year. Um, in about a month's time, uh, these are all going to be on, on Bike Radar over the uh, over the coming weeks. Um, bike Radar's YouTube channel has uh, it's going to have six mountain bike uh, bike of the year reviews. Um, so the trail bikes are going at first, and Rob, you're filming um, the enduro bikes next week, um, and then obviously the road side of things. That's all going to kick off in May as well. Um, MBUK three eighty four is on sale, um, if you can still get hold of it with a lovely supplement three ninety four. Three ninety four. Oh, don't buy a map from last year. That'd be terrible. MBK three ninety four is available at the moment. Um, it's got everything in, and the next issue of Cycling Plus will have the Road Bike of the Year, and finally, um, there will be a Road Bike of the Year podcast special coming out at some point once I've recorded it with Warren. So, um, yeah. Do we anticipate it's going to be longer or shorter than this one? I reckon I'm going to try and keep it sub one hour. So there we go. <laughs> so uh, our, our listeners have got a treat there. Then that they, they won't need to be doing laps around the block. Absolutely, yeah. Your, your car battery will be saved on the next one. <laughs> and on that note, yeah, there we go. Yeah, on that note. Thanks for listening. I'll let you sign us out. Al. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Uh, thank you, our listeners. You're all lovely. Um, please listen again. This was the Bite Radar podcast. Yeah. all the very best (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast if you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling check out bikeradar.com bye